Hello and welcome to Potternot, a podcast for those with conflicted Harry Potter feelings and those who have absorbed Harry Potter through cultural osmosis and want to dive into the good and the bad. I'm Adela, a fan in crisis, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Zoe, a jaded fan, she, her. Um, I'm E, a maybe future fan. My pronouns are she, they. And we're going to talk about stuff. We're going to talk yeah. about stuff. <laughs> we're going to talk about the... The rising action, yeah, as Adela said. But first, we have we have an addendum. Yeah, we have a very important follow up. So, as part of last week's episode, where we were doing a sorting hat scene, we realized a very significant difference between the British and American books. We did, um, and you can all go back and listen to it if you want, <laughs> <laughs> or just check out the little clip I put on. That's right. We also posted the clip of us discovering that Dean Thomas is not listed in the sorting ceremony in the British editions and is in the American editions. Um, And we discovered why. But I also want to say that when we were talking through it, I mentioned that in the American editions, it's a capital B black boy. And I mentioned that because I had assumed that they'd pulled it directly from the British edition text, where in British English, it is often common to not capitalize B in black. And in American English, you do capitalize B in black to indicate African-American or other person of color. So I just wanted to mention that as the grammatical reason that I was bringing up the capital B. Um, Because I had assumed that it comes from the British edition. And then why would they change it? But it turns out that that didn't matter. (laughs) They cut Dean Thomas entirely from the British edition. So E, you found... Yes, so last week we hypothesized that Dean Thomas had been added to the sorting ceremony for the American editions. Um, It turns out that was the opposite of the actual case. So I I did some digging. Um, Big shout-outs to wiki authors everywhere uh, for for preserving this information. I found it on two different wikis. HarryPotter.fandom.com and fanlore.org both have a page on Dean Thomas. Um, and on both of those wiki pages, I was able to find the information that the American edition is actually the uncut edition of that scene. I don't know whether it was the author herself or an editor who added the capital B for black. Which would be appropriate for American edition, which is great. Um, let me find the actual quote here so I don't get it wrong and we will put these links in the show notes as well yes um somebody in the UK publishing decided that the sorting hat chapter needed to be shorter and so as part of the edits uh JK decided to cut that line from the British editions and there is um the web archive which we will also post a link to has preserved JK Rowling's um original website which is just delightful it looks extremely 2004 her original website which i had forgotten existed until you linked this is essentially the pre-pottermore it had like background information and her thoughts when she was writing the books and like everything ended up in pottermore she was on this like i have to say everything and add every detail from the start so anyways this website she posted in 2004 Um, Anyone who has read both the American and British versions of Philosopher's Stone will notice that Dean Thomas' appearance is not mentioned in the British book, whereas in the American one, there's a line describing him. This was an editorial cut in the British version, 
My editor thought that the chapter was too long and pruned everything that he thought was surplus to requirements. And then she goes on to say that the character of Dean Thomas was actually very important to her, to the point where in the movies, like when they were doing casting for the movies, she went out of her way to make sure that... He was a black Londoner. And that he was included, you know, significantly in the movies. And he was apparently originally going to have a bigger role in the books. He's in all the books, but he is very much a background character in the same way that, like, Seamus Finnegan is a background character. Yeah, and she she decided to develop uh, Neville Longbottom more instead. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah, and it, it explains a fair amount. It makes sense as to what's going on with the additions. It is a little odd that the British editor was like, well, we can just cut this black kid, but especially yeah. when like there's a lot like we never we never see Lisa Turpin again. Cut all of the people that we never see again. Yeah, but. yeah. <laughs> Instead, they cut Dean, who I'll just go ahead and say like is pretty important later. Yeah, like is a background character, but dates Jenny Weasley has a major role as a background character in book seven. It, like genuinely is a part of the fabric of the story yeah. in a way that it is very strange to then just have him cut. Yeah. I mean, that probably wasn't the case at the time. Yeah, I guess at the time they didn't know that none of those other people would show up and that Dean Writing would be important. To publishing <laughs> yeah. works, but she probably didn't have even the second book manuscript finished by the time this was being published. True. So, who knows? Who knows? Also, the way it's written in the American edition doesn't match up with the number that they say which I, I know I keep saying that but it's yeah. just funny to yeah. me that they say there's three people left and then they list four people I did go back and I think that if you read it grammatically incorrectly it does work <laughs> 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 like I see how they could have missed it but also like along with why did they leave him out in subsequent editions of the British edition yeah, yeah. why didn't they just fix the numbering in the American <laughs> edition all right yeah, yeah so that's that's our magnificent discovery the the plot thickened yeah <laughs> on, on dean thomas there you go all right chapter eight the potions master did we all read the chapters again this time yeah we did we did chapter right. eight which is potions master chapter nine midnight duel chapter 10 halloween and chapter 11 quidditch yes so a lot of plot happens in these chapters mm-hmm. um, before we've sort of been going scene by scene, but that would take way too much time. So I'll just give like a extremely truncated plot summary. Yeah, and then we can focus in on, as the new reader, what you found interesting. <laughs> yeah, so uh, classes begin at Hogwarts. We follow Harry in his first few classes. The Potions Master chapter is mostly about his interaction with Snape who is very mean to him, for reasons we have not discovered yet. The Midnight Duel is Harry and Draco, who is also sort of the other antagonist so far. A mean boy. I don't remember what the inciting incident is. Is it the Remembral? Yeah. Yeah, the Remembral is the inciting incident there. Mm -hmm. Yes. So Draco attempts to steal this MacGuffin from Neville. Harry notices and, and gets McGonagall to stop that. And then Draco is so offended that uh, <laughs> he tries to do it again when they're learning a broom riding. 
Harry once again foils this attempt. In a spectacular way, which we will discuss. In a spectacular way, and Draco challenges him to a duel at midnight, which is against all sorts of rules. Except. Except Draco doesn't show up. So Harry and, and Ron and Hermione and Neville, who tag along, just sort of get frightened running around Hogwarts at midnight for nothing. Well, they make a big discovery. But they make a pretty big discovery. They, they discovered the place that they weren't supposed to go, uh, which was foreshadowed quite a while back. Yep, in the opening ceremony. Yeah. In Dumbledore's speech. Um, and Hermione notices that there is a trapdoor that is being guarded by... Is it a Cerberus? Basically. Basically, <laughs> yeah. It's a three-headed it's, it's dog. It's a three-headed dog. Not necessarily a Greek Cerberus. But... Yeah. And then it's Halloween. We've already yeah, made it to Halloween. Halloween. Harry Throne learns Quidditch. Dungeon. <laughs> in the dungeon. Yeah. Harry learns Quidditch and there's a troll in the dungeon. Harry learns Quidditch and there's a troll in the dungeon. <laughs> and the, it's the, the debut of the Golden Trio. Yes. The three of them team up. And then... We get an entire chapter about a Quidditch match. Sports. Sports. <laughs> Culminating with Harry thwarting an attempt apparently by Snape to keep Gryffindor from winning or just to sabotage Harry. Does Harry does Harry thwart it or does Hermione thwart it? Well, okay, Hermione <laughs> thwarts it and then Harry wins the game. Yes. They also find out a secret at the end of that chapter. Yes. Yes. So, shall we talk about highlights? Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned the the golden trio, which is not like I know that that's a word that people use. Is that where does golden trio come from? The fandom. Yeah. It's it is it's just the fandom. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, there's a golden trio and a silver trio. Yes. Mm, okay. Yeah, so on that note, the turnaround of Hermione is so fast. I thought it was going to take at least into the second book for Hermione like Oh. Given how she was introduced, I thought it was going to take a lot longer for her to be, like, unabashedly on Harry's side. Hmm. Yeah. I don't think she was ever not on their side. She well, just was bossy yeah. and... Just, like, for, for her to become somebody that the reader was supposed to like. Yeah. I guess. Not great at socialness. Yeah. Hey, really? She gets a lot better very quickly. She does get better, she, yeah. Yeah. At the end of the Midnight Duel chapter, she like she ends that chapter like extremely pissed off at Harry and Ron. Yeah. And then within like three pages, because of the troll thing. It is a very, very famous line. I hope you're pleased with yourselves. We all could have been killed or worse expelled. Yep. That's such it's a, a great good line. line. Um, it tells you a lot about her, and it is yep. everybody loves it. It's a beautifully written line. I will say that the midnight duel happens in like the first week of classes, probably in early September. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like if you're tracking things, Halloween's not till the end of October. So there well, is like fair. four to six weeks in there yeah. that they just sort of skip past. So fast in, in book time, but I guess not so much in. Yeah. So in chapter 10 in Halloween, in the American edition, it's page 170. Perhaps it was because he was now so busy, what with Quidditch practice three evenings a week on top of all of his homework, but Harry could hardly believe it when he realized he'd already been at Hogwarts two months. So yeah. I think... So we do get a sense of time from there. Yeah. I have a great post that I found this morning that's just re relevant to Hermione in this these couple chapters. It's called The Duality of Granger. It says, being expelled is literally worse than death, you guys. 
And then like the next chapter, the only logical solution to this problem is to set a teacher on fire. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah, very good. And also sort of reminds you that Hermione is also still a child. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, by the way, Hermione's 12. She's a year older than No, she's them. not. Yeah, because her birthday is uh, September, and in Britain, you have to have your birthday before September to be in that year of school. At least so that is what's what it like is for Hogwarts. She's a year, years. yeah. So she turns 12 in like the first week of school. Yeah, her birthday's on September 19th, I believe. It is. Yeah, I like <laughs> that that Hermione is, is not portrayed in the way that um, smart girls often are, where they're... Mm not just smart but like wildly mature yeah she's not like, no she is a child <laughs> she's I, she's more mature than the other two but you know she's more mature than the other two i would push back and say that that's not exactly true as you move forward but i agree that right now that's true i think that very quickly she becomes the smart and mature one Yes. Okay. That is true. She's also, in every friend group, there emerges a mom friend. It's Hermione. It's Hermione. (laughs) (laughs) She is not only... Yeah, it's not just because she's the only girl in the trio, but... Yeah, no, it's because she has basic logic skills. Yeah. (laughs) She understands basic if-then statements. Which is a thing about the way that, like, psychological studies have seen girls and boys maturing, is that the brain maturity stuff hits girls faster than boys but also society puts them in a position where yeah there's a whole mess of things and keeping in mind that as adela pointed out hermione is essentially well she's definitely almost a year older than harry because harry's birthday is late like half a year older than yeah ron's birthday is in march yeah um i would like to cut in here and talk briefly about mrs norris yeah so mrs norris is filch's cat and filch is the caretaker and mrs norris has great descriptions of how she's like this horrible cat that like basically can communicate with filch telepathically but not actually because for reasons you'll discover in the next book but (laughs) an extremely intelligent and also extremely mean cat mrs norris is named after mrs norris from jane austen's mansfield park oh wow (laughs) mrs norris in mansfield park is this in sufferable busybody and everybody wishes that she would just like butt out and stop paying attention to things and i would like to credit my co-author holly who texted me this because this is an incredible fact and it was in her uh jane austen trivia calendar that's amazing it's a perfect (laughs) name and a perfect callback a deeply austen character yeah, that's great. Archetype. Here's the description of Mrs. Norris, by the way. Uh, Filch yeah. owned a cat called Mrs. Norris, a scrawny, dust-colored creature with bulging lamp-like eyes, just like Filch's. She patrolled the corridors alone. Break a rule in front of her, put just one toe out of line, and she'd whisk off for Filch, who'd appear, wheezing two seconds later. Maybe we should save talking about Filch until the uh, Forbidden Forest chapter. Yeah, I don't have a ton of opinion on Filch as of yet, except that... As with almost all of the characters so far, I was being introduced as a very, like, black and white, like, this is somebody who is mean and bad and against yeah. children. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, mm-hmm. hey, what's up with Snape? <laughs> what is up with what Snape? What specifically are you asking? Okay, so anyone who has been remotely online in the last 15 years has heard about Snape mm-hmm. in regards to the Harry Potter fandom. And there is a lot of debate about Snape and 
I feel like I know where the two of you stand on that, but actually, my um, story is very odd. Well, it's not odd. It's just probably probably a lot of people have the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think we should just go ahead and like let's say our opinions about Snape. <laughs> let's do this now. Yeah, we read the chapter called "The Potions Master." Yeah. You got the famous line where he snips at Harry for not knowing everything in 1000 Magical Herbs and Fungi. Let's let's have at it. Adela. Um, I can't say too much without fully spoiling the entire ending of the series, but when I first finished the last book, I completely fell for the redemption attempt at redemption arc. I fell for it. I was 14. I thought that it was amazing and I thought that Snape was the best character in this book not in terms of morality but in terms of writing which I still agree that I think he's a pretty well written character but uh, it was only after some of my friends were like but he was awful the entire time and I was like oh yeah true I've like forgot about it because I was impressed by the writing and then I forgot about all the awfulness until people pointed it out to me <laughs> that's kind of what happened with me it took me a couple years after reading this seventh book to realize that he was still awful and even more recently like realizing it even more as, as an adult after like because oh, there's this stuff we have to talk about in book seven yeah <laughs> we'll get there yeah yeah stuff that i thought was a good redemption arc when i was 14 is no longer a good redemption arc now that i'm an adult mm. yeah yeah um i've always hated snape he is a child abuser and i didn't fall for his redemption arc at all in terms of how it was presented because anytime it came up in the books beginning sort of hinted at in book five i didn't care do you think any of that has to do with you being a bit older when the books were coming out i think so i think that there is no attempt at redemption arc until Mm -hmm. basically book five at which Mm -hmm. point i was 15 and yeah. I was 11 when I read book five. I was 15 when I read book five. And that was not even like, it was not like a strong redemptive moment. It was just like a pity moment, which I didn't have a lot of pity for. But I think what really, really made me angry is that you get through, so like book six and seven are supposed to be these larger pieces of redemption, essentially. Um, I was 16, I was 17. So I was older. That's maybe part of it. But also there's like a, there's a moment in book three and it's a very, very funny moment. I'm not going to spoil it. It's still going to be funny when you read it, but Mm -hmm. the kids meet a creature called a boggart, which turns Mm -hmm. into uh, a representation of your greatest fear. And Neville, his greatest fear is Snape. And it's at first passed off as a little bit of a joke, but there's a reason for that. There's like, in canon abuse reasons. Which starts with this chapter. Yeah. And it starts here and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And so it got to be book six and seven and you're supposed to start feeling bad for Snape. And I'm just like, nah, nah. He Mm -hmm. made a 13 year old so scared that the greatest fear of his life, which had already been full of other kinds of fear, is his fucking teacher. I don't get to feel sorry for him. So that, I think, is where I'm coming from on Snape. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think also me and probably other people were also slightly biased because of how incredible Alan Rickman is. Oh, God, Um, yeah. So. Yeah, 100%. When Alan Rickman died, I sat at my desk and sobbed for an hour. Like, this is not, I'm, yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. 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 Does the scene in this chapter play out 
Yes. There's a deleted scene that has it f- more fully, but yeah. Yeah, even in the like theatrical release, it is almost word for word. So I guess we could just get into what happens here. There's the bit where Snape is like ragging on Harry for not memorizing everything and Hermione wants to, you know, prove herself that she did memorize everything. And then we get the bit where they're like starting on day one to brew stuff and apparently something goes so horribly wrong that Neville gets like really yeah, bad. This is injured. a a theme. Like it's played a little bit for comedy. Well it's played a lot for comedy mm-hmm. in the writing style, but like that just immediately yes, yeah. sours me on Snape. I am extremely passionate about education and teaching yeah, it, and the way that adults interact it's especially with children. Frustrating because you learn later that Snape could be an actually like amazing potions teacher and he's, like he's not like he's obviously very smart of a guy and like knows what he's doing Ugh. so here's here's a fact that you learn later in this book hogwarts has a board of directors <laughs> the problem is snape's friends with the board of directors yep but mm. snape should have been fired years ago snape is also friends with dumbledore so yeah you know. well mm-hmm. that's a whole different situation <laughs> yeah that's what i'm saying is i don't think it's because of the board of directors i think it's because of dumbledore that he hasn't been fired yeah but we do see the board of directors overturn dumbledore's decisions and like snape still could have been at hogwarts doing things that weren't teaching mm-hmm. that is true like he's good enough at potions that he could have yeah. been working in the hospital wing madame pomfrey so what is he doing in a classroom where even before this group of children, this cohort has come in for their first year, mm-hmm. Ron warns Harry not to push it because I heard Snape can turn very nasty. Yeah. This is clearly unknown yeah. fact. Like, this is somebody who is known widely to be an abuser to the point where kids are warning newcomers about it. Theoretically, what we are made to believe is that essentially Snape has it out for. Neville and Harry, and that's yeah. it. But that's not what happens specifically in the text. Yeah. That's just what's remembered. In the text, he is cruel to Hermione. He is often cruel to people outside of his house. But yep. also, he is just cruel. Yeah, I was going to say, because I know, like, Adela, you said that yourself and a lot of people, it sounds like, were taken by I don't want to say taken. No, I think it's I think it's a valid word because you 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 are sort of led by the story, right? Like you are taken mm-hmm. along on a journey and especially with suspension of disbelief, it's okay to follow that journey 100%. Yeah, and because of like stuff like recency bias and and things when you read the later books like you're not always going to remember yeah. the stuff that happens in the earlier ones. And also, I think a lot of this stuff for me is because I've just read them so many times, I wasn't looking at them critically. If I was just like, oh, I'm reading this story that I love. Yeah. And I mean, what teen yeah. preteen is. Yeah. Well, me, but. <laughs> yeah, like, Zoe. <laughs> <laughs> but many of us are A, not trained, and B, not, again, this is going to sound bad, but not interested, really, in picking apart the stuff mm-hmm. we read for for fun. Yeah, I definitely didn't start getting critical of like any books that I read until I was like 18, 19. And then I started liking a lot yeah. less books. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I can see it's pretty clear that at this point in her writing and like I don't know how far in advance she had She had the entire outline of this for of this um, all seven books when she wrote book 1. 
And she wrote the epilogue that comes at the end of book seven after writing book three. Oh, I didn't know that part. That's so, interesting. It makes a lot of sense so, once you know that. Yes. <laughs> so I can imagine both maybe she did and maybe she didn't have a redemption arc planned for Snape. Oh, she did. At yep. this point. But it is absolutely unambiguously mm -hmm. he's being painted as evil from yep. these chapters. Yep. Which I feel like is something we're going to see a lot of. People that were painted in very black and white broad strokes that get nuance sort of pushed in around the edges yes. mm -hmm. later. The way that Snape is, is going to be, much like Hagrid's accent, a returning yes. part of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speaking of which, we see his handwriting. He sends Hedwig to ask Harry and to come around for tea. Yes, what does Hagrid's... Let me take a picture of Hagrid's handwriting and send it to you. We'll have to post that with the episode. Maybe we should just have a separate thread that's just all the different handwriting. Oh, we should! Let's do that's that. That's a really good idea. We should. That would be very good. <laughs> yeah, so I just posted it. Zoe, I see that that's across a page break, but does the line preceding that say, Dear Harry, it said in a very untidy scroll? Ah, interesting. Harry tore it open at once. It said in a very untidy scroll, Dear Harry. Hmm. That's because they wanted Ooh. to do the handwriting thing, I guess. That's because they wanted to do the handwriting. Yeah. Let me take a I had one, I had two little notes for the end of this chapter. Yeah. Uh, one was just good boy Fang. We love Fang. Fang is good. We go to Hagrid's house. We meet his giant bloodhound. He's a good, good boy. Who immediately puts his giant head on Harry's lap. And I love it. And drools. Drools everywhere. <laughs> There's some nice scene setting about where Hagrid lives. The fact that he's friends like. with Ron's oldest brother, Charlie. Yeah, because they bonded over loving magical creatures. We get a MacGuffin update, by the way, also. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. This is the beginning of Detective Harry, which will be Harry yes. forever. <laughs> and we've seen some of this before, but Harry is very bright at mm -hmm. reading people. Sometimes. Um, so he immediately catches on to the fact that Hagrid is keeping something from him in regards yes. to the MacGuffin. Hagrid's also not very good at hiding things. Hagrid's real bad at hiding things. Harry, I think this is a good moment to bring in what Adela wanted to talk about regarding Harry's upbringing, um, because I think this tracks through the rest of the chapters. Yeah. Yeah, Adela, you want to introduce that? Well, it's most it's related more to the next chapter, but we can talk about okay. it. Okay, yeah, no, let's scooch, uh, scooch along and, yeah. and talk about it. So in... Oh, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yes, hang yes, on. yes. Beginning of chapter nine, Midnight Duel. They're talking about the dorm rooms. They mentioned Dean Thomas, so I wanted to bring this up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So this is probably the first yeah. place Dean... This is just before they go to the Quidditch situation, before yeah. they learn about flying. Everyone from Wizarding Families talked about Quidditch constantly. Ron had already had a big argument with Dean Thomas, who shared their dormitory, about soccer. Ron couldn't see what was exciting. I'm sure it says football in... Wait, yeah, does your say soccer? soccer? Of course it does. <laughs> they change a lot. Yeah, okay. um, yeah it is football. Ron could, couldn't see what was exciting about a game with only one ball where no one was to fly. Harry had caught Ron prodding Dean's poster of West Ham soccer team trying to make the players move. It's a very cute mm -hmm. moment. And also shows us that Dean Thomas is muggle-born. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, so in, or after Harry's spectacular catching the remembral. Yeah, so Malfoy steals it, takes it to the top, Harry grabs a broom and discovers a very, very wonderful moment that I love. He mounted his broom and kicked hard against the ground and up, up he soared. Air rushed through his hair and his rose whipped out behind him. In a rush of fierce joy, he realized he'd found something he could do without being taught. This was easy. This was wonderful. Mm -hmm. And then Malfoy throws the remember all. Harry does this spectacular dive. And then 
Yeah. So and then like McGonagall yes. has has seen this. through her study window. Yeah. Yeah. So then, so I want to read this part, and I it was in that post that I shared, but I guess I just forgot about it. And this was the first time where I really noticed it in this scene when reading it. Um, just the way that Harry's reacting. So McGonagall runs out and she's yelling Harry Potter, and it's in all caps, and it says his heart sank faster than he just dived. Professor McGonagall was running towards them. He got to his feet, trembling. And then there's all the um, kids trying to defend him. And then the next paragraph, Harry caught sight of Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle's triumphant faces as he left, walking numbly in Professor McGonagall's wake as she strode towards the castle. He was going to be expelled. He just knew it. He wanted to say something to defend himself, but there seemed to be something wrong with his voice. Professor McGonagall was sweeping along without even looking at him. He j had to jog to keep up. Now he'd done it. He hadn't even lasted two weeks. He'd be packing his bag in 10 minutes. And I'm going to skip forward a little bit. McGonagall stops outside of a classroom and asks, Professor Flitwick, could I borrow wood for a moment? And Harry thinks inside, wood? Was wood a cane she was going to use on him? Yeah. So... Yeah. Harry has a lot of PTSD. Yeah, it just hit me that time this on this reread yeah. of like, like why he's reacting this way. Like 100% yeah. having a trauma reaction. And there's a very good post that I shared with you guys that we will I will also link below that just kind of analyzes Harry's behavior throughout the books in the context of his abuse and his PTSD, which I think is well done but it, it mentions this moment and yeah. it was a moment that hit me this time so I just wanted to bring that up yeah absolutely and this is something that yeah. comes up textually as well as subtextually in a couple of places sort of later on especially having to do with not having a family that loves him mm -hmm. it comes out very textually in the beginning of book two in book five, really hard in book three for a variety of reasons where he is sort of working through without actually doing it because he's not in therapy, even though he should be. Yeah. He's sort of working through what basically no one ever loving him, no one ever telling him that they loved him has done to him mm -hmm. as a person. And you see that sort of across the books in the canonical text as well as the Indian in these sort of subtextual moments, like assuming that he's going to be beaten, assuming he's going to be expelled, uh, wondering about what the Dursleys are going to do to him when he comes home, things like that. Yeah, I definitely picked up on that reading this scene. Um, it's really hard. It's a lot. And I think I also mentioned this at the beginning of the book, but it also puts a strike for me on McGonagall because she knows this. She argued against leaving Harry with a family that she knew was abusive. I don't think that McGonagall did really like this scene she wasn't yeah. she wasn't really about this being mean she just didn't say anything until introducing him to wood yeah and that's that's a common mistake yeah, yeah i don't think she would have realized the impact of see i read this as her putting on the act of being she does upset. that <laughs> she does that at other times and I usually like it when she does that. But this time I don't think, I don't feel like it was... I think she's feeling both. Because she yeah. says, she yells Harry Potter. She says, never in all my time at Hogwarts, how dare you? You might have broken your neck. She's yelling like your good parent yells because you almost hurt, you hurt yourself really badly or almost hurt yourself really badly. And they're just upset. So they're angry because yeah. they're scared. Right. I feel like that's what... In the way that children who get yelled at by abusive parents yeah, cannot tell exactly and i think that there is yeah it is that both concern and impressed moment 
Mm-hmm. To turn this slightly back to levity, just because I think it is an important part of McGonagall's character, there's a great Tumblr post, which we will link. We're going to have a lot of links this episode. <laughs> it says, nothing is funnier to me than McGonagall looking out her window, seeing Harry involved in some definitely illegal flying, and her first thought being, holy shit, we should get him on the team. Yep. And the response to that is, this is our number <laughs> yes. one early indication that yes, McGonagall is a Gryffindor too. <laughs> Maybe this is unfair for me to expect of a fictional character in a book but i feel like she could have anticipated that a child that she knows has been abused his entire life might have a trauma stress reaction i agree but i also feel like she was in the moment of being scared and wasn't thinking about that which is not like she should be thinking about that but also, I get it. Yeah, I mean, it says that, like, she's running there. She's terrified. She can't even put a full sentence together. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Quidditch, <laughs> do we so want to skip the Midnight Duel situation or we want to come back to that? I feel like there's not much to say there. Yeah, I don't have much. I don't have much to say about it. Draco obviously is also being painted as unambiguously... Mm-hmm. An antagonist. Neville, Hermione, Ron, and Harry all get locked out of Gryffindor Tower. And so they all end up going on this adventure and discovering what's locked behind the third floor corridor. Which we learn in the next chapter is named Fluffy. <laughs> Fluffy's a good boy. Extremely good. Uh, Harry gets a broomstick and then we learn all about Quidditch. Yeah. Wood gives a complete overview of the game. It's great. I love this chapter. Yeah. yeah. Unlike many other things that have been introduced as world building so far, the rules of Quidditch Ooh, actually make sense. Okay. <laughs> do you contest that? I do. <laughs> I think I think it's a very poorly designed game. Oh well, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> but at least the rules as a Yeah, the fact that it can last three months or longer. <laughs> yeah. The fact that it never ends unless you catch the stitch. This is, uh, we can talk about Muggle Quidditch at the end, and I will tell you a funny story about yes, that's relevant to the about. that's relevant to the uh, thing lasting the game lasting three months thing. So yes, let's um, talk about Muggle Quidditch at the end. But yes, it is a very well described set of rules. Yes, but yeah, we can sort of skip that. Uh, they find a troll. They beat the troll. Do we have anything to say about the troll? Eh. It's no, I that scene is more more important about the trio bonding for the first time i have always from the i think the second time i read it or something i've always been slightly annoyed at hermione that she lied in that specific way she could have just told the truth and she wouldn't have gotten in trouble but instead she was she she didn't yeah but i know but i mean she could have just said like i was in the bathroom they came and helped me rather than i went to look for the troll myself so we do see, yeah, we do see Gryffindor Hermione yeah. <laughs> come out yeah. at this point. It's also important to note here, uh, Ron is the reason that Hermione is hiding in the bathroom. She does really well in class, and then it says, no wonder no one can stand her, he said to Harry. She's a nightmare, honestly. Someone knocked into Harry as they hurried past him. It was Hermione. Uh, Harry caught a glimpse of her face and was startled to see that she was in tears. Yeah, so mm-hmm. Hermione over her, overhears Ron being really mean. And then Ron immediately feels bad about it, but... Yeah, except uh, that he follows it up with, she must have noticed she's got no friends. Yikes. 
Kids are mean sometimes. Yeah, it upsets her so much that she doesn't go to any of her classes yeah. for the rest of the day. And then that's the bathroom where they rescue her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From the troll. Yeah. They rescue her from the troll, she rescues them from the teachers, and th- therefore they are friends forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, remember if this has ever happened to me before, but I actually teared up at the end of that chapter this time. Uh-huh. I just love them very much. And I just really like the line of the end of the chapter. I have a very silly question before we, before we go there. Before you get to the end of the chapter, yeah. while they're in the bathroom with the troll, yeah. there's a couple... So Harry and Ron are trying to fight this thing, and Harry says, confuse it, and seizing a tap, he threw it as hard as he could against the wall. What does that mean? Oh, right before what that, is- right before that, um, the, the troll was, like, pulling all the sinks off the wall, so I assume there's just, like, rubble and... Harry could pick up a tap. Just That's loose why. sinks. Yeah. And then Ron <laughs> grabs a metal pipe, which... Yep. Okay. <laughs> Alright. It's just very funny to me that, like, loose plumbing equipment is everywhere. Oh, there's a very famous line here in the middle of the chapter that comes up a lot. Yeah. Harry then did something that was both very brave and yeah, very, very stupid. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Running theme for Harry James Potter. <laughs> Uh, would you like to read the last? Yeah, so the last line of the chapter, uh, I'll just read both because there's, there's it's short. Um, it, it made me tear up this time. But from that moment on, Hermione Granger became their friend. There are some things you can't share without ending up liking each other. And knocking out a 12-foot mountain troll is one of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I love them very much. <laughs> yeah, and the very next chapter, she's actually great. Uh, mm-hmm. she's helping Harry with homework. She gave him Quidditch through the ages, yeah. which is ridiculous. Also, she's a lot more relaxed now that she has friends and has yeah. broken a rule. I want to know about the World Cup match in 1473. <laughs> if you want to learn more about it, it is literally in my copy of Quidditch through the ages. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I need to know when, uh, where, what countries <laughs> counted as part of the um, world. I'm happy to get up and go get it. I was thinking about this. We can do that. But I was thinking about this uh, while I was reading this morning. I think when we get to book four and we read about the yeah. Quidditch World Cup, I think we should look at the Quidditch World Cup stuff on Pottermore that happened in 2014, I think it was. She wrote a whole ton of stuff about Quidditch World Cups throughout the throughout history. Um, yeah. And I think we could look at that at that point. Okay. Um, not a ton happens. Like, plot-wise here, uh, Harry puts together, based on uh, seeing Snape with an injured leg and what happened with the troll, Harry puts together that Snape was trying to sneak into the... Detective Harry at it again. Detective <laughs> Harry is on the case. <laughs> Maybe that, well, that's why this is such a good transition for me from, from Nancy Drew into fantasy. <laughs> yeah. Literally, this is like I've only read Nancy Drew before I read this for this book, and then I read Harry so much fantasy a, after that. Harry <laughs> does have a very Nancy Drew disposition. <laughs> Lee Jordan yeah. is in this chapter. The writing of the running commentary is very good. Yes, I love it very. It much. continues to be good throughout the books. Yes, Deme- um, like no matter who is commentating, it's always good. Yeah, she's very good at replicating that sort of running speech. Although style. I really did miss Lee when he graduated because he was the best commentator. Oh <laughs> no 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 no! Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Lee, 
best commentator. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Luna is going to be a commentator at one point in the future. What year was it that we were looking for? 1473. 1473 yes. is the year that's mentioned. Interesting. Um, well, we've got 1368, 1419, 1692. I want to know what J.K. Rowling thinks about the Middle Ages. <laughs> uh, not great. Because from that Ollivander page, I I think it's going to be buck wild. <laughs> 1473? Yeah. 1473. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I'm not going to read all of this. So this is page 28 on Quidditch Through the Ages, and my copy is from paperback copy published in 2001. Rules are, of course, made to be broken. 700 Quidditch fouls are listed in the Department of Magical Games and Sports Records, and all of them are known to have occurred during the final of the first ever World Cup in 1473. The full list of these fouls, however, has never been made to the wizarding public. It is the department's view that witches and wizards who see the list might get ideas. <laughs> hmm. uh, 90% of the fouls listed are, in any case, impossible as long as the ban on using wands uh, against the opposing team is upheld. The ban was imposed in 1538. Of the remaining 10%, it is safe to say that most would not occur even to the dirtiest player. For example, setting fire to an opponent's broom tail, attacking an opponent's broom with a club, attacking an opponent with an axe. That is not to say that modern Quidditch players never break rules. And then she lists 10 common fouls. Incredible. <laughs> wow. Great. But that is in a published book. It is. So yeah. therefore... Uh, published for charity. Nice. Yeah. When did book seven come out? 2007. 2007. Okay, yeah. so this was so so she wrote this in the middle of the series. Yeah. Interesting. Hermione sets Snape on fire. Hermione <laughs> certainly does. That's about all that happens. In yep. This chapter. Oh wait, but it's my favorite. So one of my favorite things about this is that it's one of the few Quidditch games that you get to see from an outsider perspective rather than from Harry's yes. perspective. Yeah. Um, oh. And I quite like that. But the very end where um, he catches the snitch. Yeah. is one of the best descriptions of him. Harry was speeding towards the ground when the crowd saw him clap his hands to his mouth as though he were about to be sick. He hit the field on all fours, coughed, and something gold fell into his hand. I've got the snitch, he shouted, waving it above his head, and the game ended in complete confusion. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's also important. Just, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> Interesting line of characterization right before this. Once, like, the hex or whatever is broken... Ron says, Neville, you can look. Neville had been sobbing into Hagrid's jacket for the last five minutes. Yeah. Neville loves Poor his kid. friends. He's, he Poor loves Neville. his friends and he's a very anxious baby. He's so anxious. I protect him. Yes, protect him always. Protect this child. Oh, just wait until, um, I think it's, I think it's book five where Neville like straight up challenges a small group of Slytherins to a fight in the stands. Because yes, that is book five. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> His friends are like, you're yes. worth 12 of Draco Malfoy. And then, in and the then he stands up to Draco Malfoy. He's I'm like, worth 12 of you. <laughs> oh, he sort of gets beaten to a pulp, but it's very cute. <laughs> I love Neville. He's very good. Yeah, I guess also just like keep how, keep this game in mind. It'll be important, you know, yeah. in the, the long distant run. future. <laughs> Other than that, I don't really have any big thoughts on these chapters. You should note that I told you to remember the description for Dumbledore's chocolate frog card. Mm -hmm. I did. Shall we move on to Pottermore? 
Yeah, we read the history of Professor McGonagall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a, a very uh, lengthy, lengthy page written on Minerva McGonagall. Mostly about her love life. And I have... <laughs> Mostly about her childhood and love life. How, what's the, like, canon to new writing ratio in here? This is all new. We don't know anything yeah. about her past. Literally okay. nothing in the books. So this is basically fanfic. Yes. Yep. Author fanfic. So the childhood, I find interesting. And I like to read it as headcanon and say that anyone could write any other headcanon. It's not canon. Yeah. Um, uh, she is Scottish. Yep. Makes sense. Herself. McGonagall. <laughs> Scottish Presbyterian. Yes. The way this is written, and I am clearly not Scottish and not familiar with Scottish Presbyterianism, but this is written like they're 16th century American Puritans. <laughs> <laughs> like, the description of... It is true. ...societal expectations and, like, the behavior of all of these people, like... Even, like, 19th <laughs> century, but, like, yeah. Yeah, it um... makes me think that they are, like, Massachusetts Puritans. I guess the only reason that I'm emphasizing this Presbyterianism is because it's uh, important to Scottish history. Yes. And sort of the, like, religious wars of England and Scotland and Ireland, and less important to the fact that she's definitely writing this as though McGonagall is, like, a 17th century Puritan. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) If anyone listening is Scottish or familiar with Scottish Presbyterianism, please get in touch. This is wild. Yes. Send us an owl on Tumblr. Or Twitter. Whatever you like. So the thing that I want to talk about, this is true with a lot of stuff that she who must not be named wrote about on Pottermore regarding many different characters whose loves, love lives we know nothing about in, the, in actual canon. Um, why are they all straight? Yeah. Every professor is single in Hogwarts. As far as we can tell. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's never stated to be otherwise. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember reading much about other professors other than McGonagall and Snape, but they are both straight, and so are many of the other well, characters the when they grow up. are also elderly? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just found the heartbreak section ugh, to read. Yep. Yeah. Like, this it doesn't, is... I don't know, it feels like like a bitter old woman because she had a heartbreak and then like lost her husband i don't know yeah yeah the arc here for anyone who hasn't seen this page is she moves to london after she graduates falls in love with a farm boy uh, muggle, a muggle eventually chooses her ministry of magic career over him Breaking his heart, breaking her heart. No, she chooses the statute of secrecy over him. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. I think that oh, that's, that's an important right. distinction. Yeah. yeah, especially because it says that she didn't like her ministry job very much. But she, she breaks up with him, but stays, like, she doesn't lose her feelings for mm-hmm. him. Eventually returns to Hogwarts, marries some random wizard just because he kept asking. I believe it's another professor. Yeah. No, it's no, it no, it was her. It was her boss of the Ministry of Magic. Gross! Really? Did I just skip that part? Marriage. 
Oh, yep. gross. Yep. Okay, gross. Yep. Um. Yeah. So this guy proposes to her a ton, and eventually she's like, "All right." They get married as elderly people. Well, middle aged, I think. He has white hair. <laughs> yeah, he's so elderly. he's older than her. He was her boss when she was just graduated. So they get married. They're happily married. Then he dies, and she is heartbroken again, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then that's the end of... And then that's the end of the page. So yeah. I will push back on one thing. I don't think she's a bitter old woman. No, I, I neither do I. I'm just... No, although that is sort of the, the arc that this page implies. Yeah. No, I don't think that she is at all. I just... I don't think I don't that's know. what I've gotten from her characterization in the book at all. I think that even in this page, it's less about her being bitter and more just about her being sad. Yeah. And I think that that's an important distinction. Yeah. That's true. I mean, reading this page as a asexual person, I was just like, okay, but why? Yeah. <laughs> like, why was any of this necessary for the characterization of a yeah. person who's already... It feels like it's part of that thing where a character isn't complete until you've given them a love life. Yeah. This is why I wanted to like talk about that part is because there are actually a lot of characters in throughout the books that have little to no indication of their romantic attractions if any and a lot of them she wrote about on Pottermore after and I'm like it you don't need to do that because because of there's so much like vagueness with them people can read into it whatever they want in fact throughout the books there's like an implied little flirtation between McGonagall and Hagrid. Yeah, that's true. Oh, that's cute. And like a lot of care between them. That's actually a much more interesting relationship. Mm-hmm. It is. And like, it feels like it has grounds. Yeah. yeah. As it, opposed it really to does. this writing that's like, uh, she had a boss that was obsessed with her and eventually he proposed enough that she said yes. Yeah. Why did you add that? Yeah, it's gross. It's so gross. There's one sentence in here that I find fascinating as a choice for her to write. Mm -hmm. So it's in the friendship with Albus Dumbledore section, and she tearfully tells him the entire... Yeah. Albus Dumbledore offered both comfort and wisdom, and told Minerva some of his own family, previously unknown to her. That's that's the only sentence. But I assume that in that sentence, it is meant to say hey, I'm gay, and my boyfriend yeah. just turned out to be, like, the worst wizard of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Another opportunity for her to be, like, and they talked about, like, lost loves and Dumbledore's previous boyfriend. Like, could have just said it. Could have said that. It. But but opted not to. A tweet is sufficient. So... <laughs> 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 I think yeah. that she's a fascinating character. And I think that she's a wonderful character, and I think that this entire page is drivel. Yeah, I think this adds nothing. Yeah, I, I love her very much. She's one of my favorite characters. I do like the bit at the very end here where she talks about naming. Yes, I was going to mention, I was going to say that too. The, uh, but like, that's all we needed. That's what we talked about before is like, whenever it's a part that says J.K. Rowling's thoughts. It's great. Yeah, because that's, like, actual backstory. Like, actual stuff that went into the creation of this character. Not random fanfic you decided to write ten years later. Yeah, Minerva was the Roman goddess of of warriors and wisdom. 
fantastic. You can totally see where they're coming from. Yeah. William yeah. McGonagall is celebrated as the worst poet in British history. There was something irresistible to me about his name and the idea that such a brilliant woman might be a distant relative of the buffoonish McGonagall. And then she gives an example of the horrible poetry. Like, this yeah. is a perfect paragraph. That's all we needed. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's what we want. Who wants to read this five lines? Because it's great. I will read this. <laughs> Please. A beautiful railway bridge of the Silvery Tay. Alas, I am very sorry to say that 90 lives have been taken away. On the last Sabbath day of 1879, which will be remembered for a very long time. <laughs> Amazing. Especially in, like, almost limerick format. Yeah. <laughs> Love limericks. I have one thing that's my own headcanon that's really Ooh, chapter. yes. Do tell. So I was talking to a friend of mine who may be joining us on a future episode, who is a Slytherin. But I was talking to her on our drive to work. And we were trying to figure out, like, we talk a lot about fan fiction and how there's a lot of rewrites of these books. And what would be really interesting to see is a rewrite where Harry and Draco do become friends yeah. and do stay in different houses for whatever reason. And I think that here's, here's my theory. I don't know that it's a headcanon, but here's my theory. If on the train, Harry had said, I don't know very many people here and I would like to be friends but I don't like what you're offering, mm -hmm. Draco would have said no. However, I think that if he had been caught up in the midnight situation, if he had seen Fluffy, I don't know that he would have told anyone. That's true. Because you assume that he would not have been with Crab and Goyle. He would not yeah. want to be expelled. And I think that that would have been what the troll situation was for the Golden Trio. That would have been the friendship moment for him and Harry. Yeah, and then they could bond over detectiveness. I think, yeah, I think it's bonding over a secret because Draco would want to keep it for selfishness mm -hmm. and Harry wants to solve the mystery. Yeah. And so together you have this sort of like bond over a secret that at 11 would have worked because Draco also wants power. Mm -hmm. yeah. So to then say to his parents, oh, I'm friends with Harry, would have been good for him and I think he would have recognized it after that moment where he sees Fluffy. And it would have totally changed. He, yeah, he would have been influenced by a good person. Yeah. For once. And I think that there's a lot of really interesting aspects to that because I think that in the same way, you don't get house friendships until much later in the books and not at all with Slytherin. Mm -hmm. But I think that's partly because of the status quo. But mm -hmm. there's a bit of a baby boom, and Harry is Harry. And I think if Harry had been the one to reach across the aisle, basically, it would have changed things completely. Yeah. Because mm. it's not, like, it's not the students who are enforcing the status quo. It's the society as a whole. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Hagrid and the professors and, like, everyone is making these distinctions between houses. Mm -hmm. Making them competitive. Yeah. Should we talk about Quidditch? Let's talk about Quidditch. <laughs> Um, so I've played one just, like, trial game of Muggle Quidditch, but I was asked to take photos at a big official game of Muggle Quidditch when I was at university. So it's did your wild. university, like, Harry Potter club have? Yes, we had a Quidditch team. We were, we were the Aurors. It was an official uh, university sports team. Same with, same with my undergrad. 
yeah, uh, we were the Aurors, and I think we did pretty well. I don't know. Our captain, our team captain, went on to to actually play in the uh, international Quidditch league, which exists. Yes, um, so good. <laughs> so 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 Muggle Quidditch is great. You should just watch it someday. I really should. You have these little brooms. They're small. They're like ch- children's size brooms um, or just like sticks if you don't have a broom. And you have to have the broom between your legs the entire time or else you are that's a, that's a foul. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to be running with a broom between your legs. <laughs> the The beaters don't have bats. They just throw the bludgers at people. And if you get hit by the bludger, you have to like stand at the side for a certain amount of time or something like that. Are they like beanbag balls or what are they? They are they're like volleyballs type thing, and then the the quaffle is like a bigger ball. Um, actually, the quaffle is usually a a, a replicate replicated quaffle of what the quaffle looks like in the movies. And then the best part is that the snitch is a real person that who dresses around. in yellow and wears a, a sock or a stocking with a ball in it attached by Velcro to their belt. It's like flag football. Yeah, you yeah. chase them and you grab it. And my undergrad had a Quidditch team. I don't remember when they became official. I don't know what the name of the Quidditch team was before our mascot changed. <laughs> but my junior year, my undergrad College of William Mary changed our mascot my junior year to the Griffins. And so they are the Griffins oh, that's... Quidditch team now. They exist. My current place of work has a Quidditch team. Nice. I don't know what they're called either, but that's it. That's the entirety of my experience. E, what is your experience with Muggle Quidditch? <laughs> Zero. Um, I knew I knew that the snitch was a person that ran around like flag football, but that was that was what I knew. Oh, I should have also mentioned it is a contact sport. Unlike like Quidditch in the books, Muggle yeah. Quidditch is a contact sport. <laughs> I would argue yeah. that Quidditch in the books is also a contact it sport. It is, but you say. get you do get fouled for it in in the books, whereas you don't, depending on what it is in Muggle Quidditch. Um, and you don't wear, like, padding. It's a bit rugby-ish. Yeah, it's a bit rugby-ish. It's like that style of contact, I would say. It can be pretty rough. <laughs> so the thing, the funny story that I wanted to tell is that I don't know if this is for the, like, Ontario Universities League or for, like, the national league or for the international league but uh there used to be no rules for the snitch the snitch was allowed to go anywhere not on the field like they could leave the field and the seekers would have to chase them they the snitch uh climbed a building at york my university one time uh i heard this from us someone who would play who was the snitch like spider-man up the yep, outside climbed a building and uh another snitch like locked himself in a car then they changed the rules where the snitch <laughs> has to stay on the field <laughs> that's so good i love i love the concept that quidditch is just calvin ball with like three rules <laughs> but yeah i i love the fact that there's an international quidditch league and they have yeah. a world cup and like they have all of the levels of World Cup, like provincial, national, go to worlds. We should link that. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's like a board that makes every makes all the rules and everything. It's very it's a very serious sport actually for some people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the ways in which the Harry Potter fandom has made the world a brighter place. Yeah, <laughs> fandom is good. Fandom is good. 
Notably, something that the author has not stuck her foot in. No, which is wonderful. As far as I can tell. Which is yeah, good. she. I've never seen anything about her related to Muggle footage. I'm not. There probably is. I'm sure she's tried, but like. But something that the fans like definitely have. Yeah. For themselves. Control of. Yeah. 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 All right. Hey, we didn't go for two hours this time. No. Yeah, I we, think we're, we're we kept it tight. Keep it, keep it a little tighter. I'm just quickly paging through to make sure there was nothing else I wanted to say. Oh, I had a big crush on Oliver Wood when they cast him in. nice that's it okay um (laughs) he sounds like the way he's written he definitely sounds like the type of student that one would have a crush on there there was another good post that i read this morning that was just like oliver wood comes back to to hogwarts to coach the gryffindor team when harry's kids get there (laughs) harry and Ginny's kids get there because he's like these are gonna be the best quidditch players of all time Ginny's an incredible chaser and an acceptable seeker is broomstick flying ability genetic uh, it's implied <laughs> well, to me is what i'll say very yeah, bad was was an say. amazing so i think that actually what it is is like basic athletic ability yeah, yeah. that's fair and like seekers are generally small and wiry and that's what harry is and- yeah yeah so next time we will be getting real into things we're going to be reading the mirror of erised Nicholas Flamel and the Norwegian Ridgeback. Norbert, the Norwegian Ridgeback. You cut out halfway through Norbert, but it's fine. (laughs) I apologize in advance, E. Chapter 14 ends on a cliffhanger. Oh, boy. Great. (laughs) That's wonderful. Perfect. I cannot wait. But we will close book one in two episodes from now with The Forbidden Forest, Through the Trap Door, and The Man with Two Faces. Yeah. Yeah. We're almost done our... Season one? Season one. (laughs) Book one. Book one. (laughs) Book one. (laughs) Not really long enough for a season. But I did get this question. We are planning on doing, fingers crossed, knock on wood, all seven. Yes. Oh, yes. That is the goal for sure. Yes. Yep. Which means it will take a long time to get through (laughs) (laughs) four, five, six, and seven. (laughs) It will be a while. Also, I suspect that we will do a movie watch after book three. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to come to Boston. Yes. Come to Boston. We can watch three movies. Yes. Okay. All right. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I have been Adela. You can find me on Twitter at Aradel, A-R-E-D-H-E-L underscore underscore. And also on YouTube at Aradel Grace. I'm Zoe. You can find me on Twitter at Zoe Topaz, Z-O-E-T-O-P-A-Z. And you can buy my book, Ostentatious, The Evolving World of Jane Austen Fans, wherever books are sold. And I'm E. You can find me on Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube at CEL10E. And our wonderful theme music is by Morgan Jackson. You can find more music at wedidthetimewarpagain.bandcamp.com. See you next time. Thank Bye. you. See you all later. Bye. Send us an owl on Tumblr. <laughs> we should have. Oh, we didn't oh, mention our. You can find us on Twitter at Potternot. You can find us on Tumblr at Potternot as well. And you can feel free to share any headcanons that you particularly like or, or other messy feelings or memes, whatever you want, in our owl box. Owl box? Sure. Mailbox? <laughs> Send an owl. Mailbox. Uh, to our Send an owl. Tumblr or Twitter. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>